That's right. This is Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. As usual, I am Chris Blair, and I am here with my co-host, Annie McMullen. Hello, hello. And joining us this week, we have movie aficionado and starter of the group for the podcast, Unspooled. We've got Kate Littleton. Hello. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about your relationship with the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, actually, I just called my mom today to ask her, when did I see this movie for the first time? Because it came out when I was four. And I have such a visceral, like distinct memory of this movie. Apparently, she did take me to the theater to see it when I was four. And I loved it. And she hated it. And I insisted on seeing it as much as I could. And I would like beg for it. They bought me the VHS. And for all you younger people, VHSs were very expensive. So that was kind of a big deal. And I really, I really loved this movie. I thought it was amazing. When I saw Jessica Rabbit for the first time, my jaw dropped. And I'm a redhead myself. And it was a really big deal for me to see like this really cool, sexy redhead. Cause up until then it had been all Pippi Longstockings and stuff. And now there was a pretty one at the time. I didn't think sexy, but there was a pretty one who could sing really nice and had a glittery dress and everyone liked her. As an adult, I have complicated feelings with the sexualization of redheads on screen, but as a kid- We're in full I, circle. We're, we're the complete opposite way, I guess. Yeah, but as a, as a kid, I really, really liked her and it's just always had really good feelings for me. Do you still own the VHS? I don't, no, I'm not one of those people. I'm not a hoarder. I'm a <laughs> throw everything outer. No, I have the, I have the DVD and the Blu-ray and apparently I also own it digitally, which I realized when I went to watch it today because past Kate was also too lazy to put the DVD in the DVD player and bought it, <laughs> which I think we've all done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. We are on to minute 34 of the movie this week. Minute 34 begins with Doom shaking his head at the shoe and it ends with him saying, this is how we handle things down in Toontown. I, I feel like we should give some kind of warning. I don't know what- <laughs> That it's fucking horrific. Yeah. Yes. I don't know what yes. label is appropriate. Like, like what is it? Is it violence? Is it uh, murder? Like, I don't, but traumatic. people should be prepared. Yeah, it's a trauma. It's it's traumatic. Uh, and it, it feels remiss to not at least mention that before we start going into the gory details. But um, I'm not sure how to how to warn people about, about what this minute holds. Yeah, this is a trigger warning. This um, is the first trauma of my childhood. <laughs> the, the sad point is, like, if somebody is listening to the movie to listen to us, they've already experienced it. And we were unable to give them the proper warning. Um, you know, people always talk about the Lion King when his dad dies and how terrible that is. And this was like a thousand times worse thousand times. to me. Yeah. yeah, it's so bad. And, you know, I watching this one minute at a time, this was the minute that I was dreading because I hated this minute when I was a kid and I hate it every bit as much as an adult. 
always, always throughout my life, I hate it when something bad happens to a dog. And I know this is a shoe, but this has every bit of the same emotion attached to me. Of, it's kind of like a pet shoe. Mm-hmm. Shoe yeah. equals puppy right here in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It has uh-huh. that vibe, the way it nuzzles against doom just yeah. the innocence the way it it gets excited when doom picks it up like oh somebody's about to love oh, me right now God. it's terrible it doesn't it doesn't talk it just makes kind of squeaky and like you know loving noises until until it makes sad sad noises oh but, god yeah agreed yeah. i for those of you who don't know what we're talking about the shoe dies <laughs> Uh, horrifically with its eyes open as it slowly oh gets dipped. Slowly. Just uh, murdered. Slowly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, if you're making the movie or writing the book and you want to portray how sadistic and horrible Doom is right off the bat, there you go. It definitely does the trick. Like, yeah. like they wanted us to hate Doom right away and yeah. mission accomplished. And he, it's not even like a villain that you kind of like, like Joker and Batman, right? It is like, no, this is a bad, bad human. Well, this is a bad entity. You should not <laughs> have any sympathy for him. He is sadistic. He's the worst. And, uh, you know, it, it's really effective, too, in not only establishing Doom as the worst entity ever, but also painting a very clear picture of what is in store for Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Like, the consequences are laid bare right here. Well, this minute, uh, it sets up a ton of uh, information for the rest of the movie. Like, aside from the violent and horrible slow murder that we witnessed during this minute, um, there's a lot of background information given um, by, what's his name? What's it? What's, what's the detective's name? Oh, uh, Santino. 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 Detective Santino is, you're like, oh, that's why you're in this movie at this point, uh, because he (laughs) gives you a bunch of background information on Judge Doom. Um, And yeah, and we find out about, we find out about Dip. This is sort of the first, um, this is the first information we have about Dip. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys think Dip looked like? Um, oh, I know exactly what it is. I mean, what, what, I it, what, exactly like what, it, what it resembles. Yeah. Cause like when I saw that to me, it so clearly looked like when you're a kid and you mix orange soda and Coca-Cola and Mountain Dew and whatever in a glass oh, yeah. together. Yeah. That's what yeah. the Dip looked like. Like it had that color and the foam which is kind of orange and kind of green and kind of brown that's what it looked like and I was like this looks like that <laughs> like it probably has the same chemicals that all those have when they're mixed together too you, you could probably get your own dip and kill it too and just by mixing that because I know they say you can clean your toilet with using coca-cola so that might yeah. also kill kill the tune to me it looks exactly like when you make bone broth from scratch <laughs> why is your bone broth broth green uh, it's not, it, it's not, when you watch it boiling, it's not green at first. Like at least in my, maybe my screen sucks and it's a totally different color. <laughs> it's me, great. It's, it's yeah. brown. It's got the like sludge that you like skim off if you're m- making it. Like it, to me, it looks exactly like bone oh, right. broth. Yeah. Mm. 
To me, and you know, this might be a little bit foreshadowing of what's going to come, but it reminds me a bit of when the Wicked Witch melts into the the liquid that she turns into. Um, it's got that sort of flavor. There's steam in that too. It's hot liquid mess. Apparently, this is a combination. Is it's turpent- turpentine, turpentine, mm-hmm. acetone, benzene. Yes, yes, which apparently together makes uh, paint remover, which is the reason they had selected it. This is why it kills tunes, because it will kill a tune if it was actually put onto a, a animation cell. Um, one thing I did want to say is, you know, we're talking about the shoe looking like a puppy or having, you know, like little doggy vibes. And when you, upon rewatching, like watching Doom as he after he picks him up and he starts to kind of like walk over to the the car where the dip is, he he looks at him and kind of shakes his head in disgust. Like he's killing the shoe because it was a puppy, because it was like adorable and lovey and like mm. he hates it. He looks at it with this like disgust. Because he could. And it's so sad and evil. Because he's a self-hating tune and this represents everything that he hates about other tunes. It's loving and it's caring it's just has innocence um the antithesis of what doom is there is uh, a line that santino says where he says that uh he got to be a judge because he was spreading simoleons around yeah i had to look up simoleon and i got that it, it's most likely it's a portmanteau between Simon, which was slang for sixpence, and Napoleon. Huh. But that's such foreshadowing, though, that plot, that comment, too, because that speaks back to what Eddie says earlier in the movie, right? That the guy who killed his brother was robbing the bank and took all Mm -hmm. that money. The cop said this guy just had a ton of money and was spreading it around. I do wonder if that when Doom robbed the bank, if he had that freeway plan in mind all the way back then. I was wondering if the transit system actually was that good in LA in the 40s. We've talked about this because we were also curious about that. We were like, is this like how real is the whole freeway plot line in this? Yeah. Um, not smart enough to do that kind of research. So if anybody else knows, has like a historical context on the uh, the viability of public transport port in Los Angeles in 1947, you'd like to know. There's got to be one one LA trans head from the uh, <laughs> that can answer this. Huge fan. He he mentions this about like how you know how we've said that there's no way to kill a tune. Uh, It's interesting that Lieutenant Santino and Eddie have had this conversation before about how tunes are impossible to kill. I would have loved to hear why why the context of that came up. It was this in a criminal justice sort of way. Was this related to the tune that had killed Eddie's brother? Yeah, but then they so easily accept and act like they know they've known the whole time that laughing kills a tune, right? Mm, Because he says. In this minute, I think, or the minute right after, he says, you're going to die laughing like your hyena cousins, mm. right? Yeah. Right. So that confused me because I'm like, well, then there is a way to kill a tune and you all know this and you're acting like this dip is, this is a new thing. 
So little incongruent. What, what I'm getting from this is that there are two ways, two kinds of deaths for a tomb. There's like the deaths where the weasels do die and they take on a ghost form, which I guess they're dead, but they're still alive in some form. And then there's going right into the dip, which is just straight up, they're gone now. There, there is no essence of the tunes left. Like if like someone could die, you could have Casper existing, but if Casper were to get dipped, he's completely gone now. So, so huh. are, that's actually interesting. In this theory, Casper was previously a different kind of tune. Because wasn't was Casper he just like Devon a creepy Sawa? little? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, was just, it was just Devin Sawa. Is a is a human? Did he have hair? He, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. He might have died laughing. I mean, since I mean, that's... I'm pretty sure the weasels like exit their you know corporeal tune form in like fully clothed, like looking exactly the same, just blue and transparent with wings. Oh, they have wings. You're right. And harps. Mm. Which is like, so they were totally evil in real life. And then like they, now they're not, now they're Yeah, evil. which is another thing, right? Cause I even wrote that down too. The weasels are so unlikable. Like <laughs> there's yeah. not a single redeeming bad person in this, like in this whole thing. They're all just bad. They're all very, very unlikable, bad, cut and dry, bad. Very few characters, if you think about it, who are complex here, right? Like they're yeah. all kind of archetypy and very even pulpy. Yeah, I mean Eddie. Eddie has depth and like uh, multiple Does dimensions. He? Well, he, he goes on a he goes on an emotional journey. Um, uh, I personally think Marvin Acme ha- is uh, a bit nuanced because he's a disgusting creep of an old man. Uh, but he also like wants the tunes to have Toontown. So, you know, he's got yeah. a little bit of like give and take, uh, but otherwise people are pretty much kind of one note. They're there mm-hmm. to do one thing. Jessica Rabbit has a little bit of depth. They, they do seem to be at the mercy of how much they are characterized. Like could, if Roger really wanted to be evil, could he be, or is he just too stuck in who he is as Roger Rabbit to be that way. Is it really the weasel's fault that they're so despicable if they were created to be just despicable? I don't know they're how much bad, autonomy- They're not bad, they're just drawn that way. I was gonna say, so you're <laughs> leaning into the Jessica Rabbit explanation is yes. what I was saying here. <laughs> um, and you know, you know what I did realize on this rewatch though? Hmm. Roger Rabbit's not as likable as he was when I was a kid. He's like, I, no. I hate to say this, but he's not likable. No, he, he is uh, fairly annoying. And by fairly, I'm being generous. Yeah, he is off-putting. I don't want to dwell on that. But but yeah. yeah, that was kind of a surprise to me because I feel like I just rewatched this recently. It must have been during the pandemic. Well, during the, the quarantine heavy, heavy part of the pandemic. And uh, I don't remember thinking he was so unlikable, but now I'm like, oh, you're, you're kind of unlikable. You're kind of a, obnoxious. So. And I, I do wonder, would most cartoon characters be this way if we were forced to hang out with them and share a space with them? Yeah, I can't, can you think of a cartoon character that you could handle for a long period of time? And Ooh. by that, I mean, not the new cartoon characters. Cause I think that cart- animation has kind of gone in a direction as we've aged. Like I could hang out with Bob's Burgers 
them, yeah. you know, but like, yeah. but like the, the cartoony cartoons, right? Like Looney Tunes and the Disney tunes and stuff. It would be rough. Yeah. I can't think of any cartoon that came out before in like 1960 that I'd want to spend any time with. Yeah. Maybe if I'm hanging out with the entire Scooby-Doo gang and they've got each other to hang out with too, that would take part of the weight out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it would be a rough sell hanging out with any of them. But these like anthropomorphic, like Mickey Mouse type tunes are just, they're all so kind of obnoxious. That was the whole point of them, right? It was to be obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. that's, that was part of it is that they inhabited such a different world that they would not fit in with what we deem acceptable at all. I will it's say, like, oh. no, go ahead. Uh, it's kind of like, you know how um, recently people have been training their dogs and cats to push buttons that say words? That's such you know? nonsense. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, I saw this one video where uh, a cat or a dog had a button that said mad. And I just kept thinking about how my cat would just constantly be like, food, mad, food, mad, food, mad, shit, 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 food, mad. Like it would just do that all the time. Like I love my cat. I do not want him to be able to communicate that directly with me. That's how, yeah. that's how I feel about tunes. Like mm. it's, thank you, safe distance. No, thank you. <laughs> I am, um, I will say that one thing about you forcing me to uh, relive this trauma over and over in preparation for this episode is that I started trying to look at anything but the shoe. Mm. And that warehouse is pretty cool. It's got a lot of really cool stuff in it. It's mm-hmm. got these really creepy statues. Did you yes. guys notice the, okay, so I'm not alone here. There are like these, I was actually watching the shoe for like the third time and going, okay, look somewhere else, Kate. And then I look up, I'm like, oh, nope, not there. That's bad. <laughs> Don't look over there. It's like these creepy, scary clown things. I'm like, what are those doing there? There is no safe place to look anywhere in this <laughs> warehouse. It's all terrifying. So upsetting. But it's it's interesting. Like, I really like the detail and the integration of tune with not tune. I think that goes through the whole movie is that they do such a good job of integrating tune and not tune. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, amazing. Yeah, but I, I do, I do like the stuff in the warehouse. I think of all the all the stuff in the warehouse that they had, I'd want that hole. That would be really cool. The black hole thing. Um, I, something I really thought was great. And I am, I'm going to backtrack a little bit about my, what the dip is made of situation. There's one shot, the shot that where they just show the dip bubbling and it really does look like bone broth to me, but there's almost no green in that shot. And then later we know like when it's shooting out of the hose and spilled and everything, it is very like mountain dewy looking. Um, but, but in that particular shot, it's like mostly brown, but I think it's so clever that they used a red shoe and because it's essentially paint thinner, it melts the red shoe into the dip. And then when he pulls the glove out, it looks like it's just dripping in blood. Yeah. Yeah. That's and it's point. just, it's, it levels up the trauma by a lot. Cause now we've just seen a dog shoe melted and we're just like watching a bloody hand bloody glove emerge from uh from that barrel of what is now just looks like you know what are these corn syrup and food coloring to look like blood it looks exactly like that it's pretty foul those gloves though are one of my favorite parts of the scene 
that the 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 noise I love that usually like something like that would actually grate on my ears but for some reason the noise those gloves make is so like tantric's the one the wrong word for it but there's something about that (laughs) I feel like that's appropriate (laughs) erotic (laughs) but there's something about that sound that's so like kind of appealing in a way that rubber is usually not appealing the sound of it's usually squeaky and awful but that glove they really nail that that sound you can really tell that it's a thick, thick rubber, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You could, you can feel how his fingers have to move in it, you know? And yeah, the thickness kind of is another foreshadowing thing of like knowing how heavily armored this dude is. Why is he so heavily armored? That is a thick glove. It, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all tune flesh under that glove too. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the foreshadowing and Doom says something in this minute where he's like, says something about like, especially you should understand that or something. And it's very much another reference to like, I know you hate tunes because your brother. And you're like, why do you know so much about Eddie Valiant's brother? You creepster. Yeah, but you know what else is really interesting too about that scene is, so you have the detective, the not Eddie detective, his friend, who's like, oh my God, it's dip, right? When he, it's dip, they have dip here. And you have Eddie freaking out and you have Christopher Lloyd's just like getting into it. And I was thinking these actors really commit to this story. Like they are really committing to one, they're all doing such a good job of pretending like there's something there. And then two, they're, they're really committing to something that could very, very easily be silly, right? Very easily mm. be well, this is stupid, right? And, and they really make it work. Like I believe even the, the side actors and the sort of B, C, D actors, really good, mm-hmm. like really good. Christopher and- Lloyd apparently said that this scene is his favorite, was his favorite scene. Oh, wow. Well, that is wow. just evil. <laughs> right? <laughs> when you're like, oh, you're nailing it because you're heartless. Yeah. Do we, have you guys talked about his teeth? Um, I, we talked a little bit about his appearance last episode, but, um, yeah, those are definitely not his teeth. Right. And they're so obviously like not human teeth. They're fake or they're the tune teeth shining through. Yeah. And I think I, my running theory right now that I have no evidence to back up is that they did make him look like all the prosthetics and makeup and everything kind of cartoonishly bad to like kind of foreshadow that he's not a real person because everything else is so well executed and they don't have these like crappy blending and you know like bad fake teeth and stuff like that that so I I do think it's like a little easter egg to show that like he he did this at home without the benefit of YouTube (laughs) (laughs) yeah no no snapchat filters on this one (laughs) We, we also learn, we, we talk a lot about the injustice that Toons receive. There is no due process for Toons in this world. Uh, Doom calls himself the, the judge, the jury, the executioner, but there is no trial. It is all Doom's decision right there to do what he does to this shoe. In the screenplay, there is a little bit of a scene where there's a cartoon little port that he pulls out that decides on the fate of the shoe. But here, it's just completely Doom's decision to do whatever he wants. Yeah. 
That's and okay. really like not even for any reason. I, I, I was shocked that they just let him kill the shoe. I got to say, in my frame of mind right now, I'm like, is no one going to do anything? What is your job? You're a cop. Are you not going to do anything? Because apparently yeah. they're citizens, right? Because they work and they have contracts, you know, like who owns the shoe, right? Because if they're not citizens, then studios own them. Who owns that shoe? Is nobody going to care about loss of property? Like how, how does this just happen? How is nobody stepping in? Yeah, it just it just tells me that like people do not care about tunes at all. Like Eddie, Eddie's shocked look. I tell me like this is a new thing, the ability to kill tunes. Nobody is quite sure on what the rights of tunes are in in this world. Yeah, I think Santino like looks away, and I get the impression from all the lead up to this that he's just terrified of Doom, right? Like he's like a total lackey. He's just gonna do whatever Doom you know, tells him to or anything to kind of avoid um, getting on Doom's bad side. Uh, and then Eddie just looks totally shocked. Like he can't believe what's happening, which feels like a bad way to react for someone who was a cop and is now a private detective. <laughs> it feels like he should maybe uh, be able to react in situations like this. So yeah, I don't really know why why we've gone with this reaction for Eddie other than it just moves the plot forward well. Well, is it also the, if if he was doing this to say Goofy, maybe that would be a thing that they step in. But we do know tunes, according to what they are in this world, are treated differently. And the fact that this is a dog shoe opposed to Goofy, is that different? Or just, or just like a very intellectual shoe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. We... You know, we we don't understand exactly the life cycle of a tune, and we we talked a little bit about the shoes and the, their pairs last week. Um, what happens to its mate? Oh mm. God! Why are you oh. making this more traumatic? <laughs> what, did you just think how could I make this worse? How could I hurt four-year-old Kate? <laughs> Introduce a love story. <laughs> <laughs> we never get the reaction of this other shoe. Oh my God! Can we? Can we just not talk about the other shit? <laughs> okay. I hate it. Something Thanks. something even worse. What what's the worst of these two? This look of fear that's on the shoe's face right before it gets dipped, or that sound that it makes as it's going into the dip? Because I cannot decide. Oh my god. <laughs> I I have watched it both with and without sound. Um, and it's it's brutal every way. It they're both equally bad it's it's really really rough um and i credit nancy cartwright uh who does the voice um of the shoe yeah yeah she does it and that whatever sound she makes nails it see that okay so now this maybe is not appropriate for the podcast but if that <laughs> trauma, if that traumatized her doing that shoe that means that she had to do it again and again if she's a scientologist <laughs> right because that's what scientology is they I'm not I'm sorry are either of you scientologists uh, no. nope <laughs> okay good well well you know la got to check okay so <laughs> um scientologists they believe that if they do some if something traumatic happens then they have to do it again and again and again and again mm -hmm. until it's not traumatic anymore right mm -hmm. and so that means she had to do that shoe thing like over and over in her spare time 
do you think this is what caused her to be a Scientologist? This shoe thing just stuck with her too much. And she's like, well, there's only one way out of this now. I wonder if she was born a Scientologist. It's always interesting to see who was born a Scientologist and who willingly became a Scientologist. Who chose that life. Who chose that life. We do get one of the scariest moments in the movie. And the scary moment is just Psycho the Weasel's laugh as the shoe gets dipped. That it is chilling. It is, it's so upsetting. And I was like, it took me a while to figure out who it was. I was like, wait, who, who's making that laugh? Which, which creature is it? Is it doom? Like, you know, is he pulling an Elizabeth Holmes where like all of a sudden he accidentally drops his fake voice? Uh, or, is, <laughs> uh, or is it one of the weasels or like who is making that horrible cackle? Yeah. I, I think that's when I wrote in my notes, these weasels are also so unlikable. Yeah, this is why I love the weasels. They are just like pure chaotic mischief. evil. Yes, pure chaotic evil. Uh, they are so chaotic. Yeah, Greasy the weasel says something yeah. after, uh, after Psycho laughs, and I cannot make out what he's saying. I've listened to it a few times, and I cannot get it. Something, something, boss. Yeah, so he, according to subtitles, he says, that's one dead shoe, eh, boss? Mm. <laughs> oh, God, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Greasy the weasel, for that. I just like, 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 okay, so Doom... Doom is evil and he's just like a monster, but he's clearly not an idiot, right? And then he hangs out with these weasels who say shit like that. Like (laughs) he is the annoying, he's like the human who's annoyed because he's surrounded by all these like awful tunes. Like, yeah, he just killed a shoe and then his stupid weasel ruins his dramatic moment by by going like, hey, did you notice you killed that shoe boss? (laughs) Like what? what? I like your delivery. Oh, well, no, Doom's not lawful evil. No, he's, although he stands up for the law. He's he's doing it under the guise, but he's doing it for the law. I don't know if he's chaotic evil or just is, neutral evil. Well, is there lawful evil? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. lawful evil, but he doesn't feel lawful. Yeah, to like me. the entire American justice system. Oh, yeah. You know what? He's super lawful. There you go. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, he's just deciding the law for himself. Yeah, um, no, that's right. You're right. I forgot what country we lived in. <laughs> my mvp for this minute is the shoe um it's a nancy cartwright aside it's an amazing visual performance the animators put so much emotion into that shoe's death and its life you know it, it it had a we we got a glimpse of its humanity before it died which just makes it worse but um that's definitely like the the mvp for this minute it's it's the shoe we got to give it to the shoe yeah rest Uh, in peace yeah rest in rest in peace shoe that is it for today this has been minute 34 of the movie and this has been a Dueling Genre Productions. You can go to DuelingGenre.com and check out all of their podcasts. Want to thank you so much for joining us today. Kate, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, so there's another podcast that I work with. It's called All Things Cozy, and it's amazing. And I think that 
every day. I don't know what it's going to be like in a few weeks, but I can assure you that we're going to need cozy things. Um, and it's a really inclusive, really fun, without being too sweet podcast. Um, you can check me out on episode 69, which is romantic comedies. Um, but it's great. It's a really, really good feel-good podcast. And I, it's they go into everything and anything cozy. And we will be back on Wednesday for minute 35 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit's. <laughs>